0: Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews, shopping tips, driving green, electric cars, classic cars, and plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer
1: Guide Car Stuff Podcast.
0: Here's your host, Tom Appel.
1: All right, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Hey, thanks for joining us today. When you get a chance, please check us out at ConsumerGuide.com. That's ConsumerGuide.com. While you're there, check out our 2021 Best Buy picks. This list is an excellent starting place if you are looking for a new vehicle. We will also want to check out our blog for reviews of all the vehicles we're driving here at Consumer Guide and all sorts of other fun stuff. You can also catch up on back episodes of the podcast right there on our homepage. Want to be added to our mailing list? And you do. Drop us a line at carstuff@consumerguide.com. At that is carstuff@consumerguide.com all right let's see who's online with us today he is the senior editor here at consumer guide automotive and he never eats anything that ends in the letter a welcome damon bell
2: i just bought a tube of polenta so you're wrong
1: oh well is polenta some strange latin plural and maybe it ends in e
2: i don't think there are individual polents (laughs) <laughs> I think polenta is just they Have you ever had polenta before? It seems like I that. have. I love it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, where this is super inside baseball, but you and I sometimes go to lunch at Graziano's in Niles, Illinois, and they they sometimes do grilled polenta. So good. Oh, do they? Oh, yeah. 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 I it's haven't seen of... it in a long time.
2: Huh. It's ca- and it, it, it's a yeah, it is Italian, which strikes me as a little strange. It, to me it's sort of Have you ever had grits? I have polenta to me is kind of like grits in solid tube form it's like classy grits <laughs> classy grits I suppose yeah. yeah hey Damon off the top of my head that's one thing I know that I consume that ends in a and I'm sure there are others so once again you gotta find a new uh, source
1: all right well I got some bad information then I uh, just want to let you know that John Beal, the editor-in-chief of Collectible Automobile Magazine, joins us today. Excellent. So we'll be talking to him. But there's a lot. There's a lot going on this week.
2: There is. Really quickly, we should mention Jill is on location. Uh, with to- We'll be talking about some... Toyota's making big news this week. Uh, we'll talk about that. That's actually where Jill is now. There's a multi-day press event, so... Um, we'll cover some of that stuff. And then, literally, like, a, like less than an hour before we were recording this, some news came across the wire about uh, a new Ford product that I don't think anybody in the industry is surprised by.
1: No, no one's surprised by it. And I think what the big news here is that we're getting confirmation of a name. So right. Ford will be rolling out a small compact pickup truck we've been referring to compact pickup trucks as mid-size pickup trucks but whatever but the vehicles in that class the the colorado the canyon the tacoma um there's a new nissan uh those are all really large now
2: <laughs> yeah yeah we, we still categorize them as compact because technically there's there hasn't been anything smaller but right are more most accurately referred to as mid-size but but yes now Ford is coming out with a compact, uh, we'll say true compact pickup that slots beneath the Ranger, and in which itself has it was uh, revived only what four years ago. It, that had the revived Ranger hasn't been on the market all that long. No, There's a smaller, uh, su- smaller than Ranger size Ford pickup coming for 2022 that revives a name uh, that previously adorned a ford compact that launched for late 69 as a, a 70 model and that is maverick yes yeah. <laughs> which now, seems like a, it seems like a, that is a great name for a pickup truck don't you think
1: it's a great name. The association I make with Maverick, and I love old TV, uh-huh. is, is the legendary James Garner Western, which was so good. And it, Western is perfect, right? That's the kind of pickup truck kind of thing you want you want to make an association with. Yeah. Um, not so much a 1970s compact car that no one really loved.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, I hope they do some cool kind of steer horn uh, logos that, uh, you know. The original Maverick had a kind of stylized uh, horned logo, so maybe they'll do that for this pickup too. But it's it's been a not very well kept secret that that is Maverick is what Ford was going to be calling this new small pickup. So now we officially have confirmation. Uh, yeah, that that's that's what it's going to be and ford
1: is making virtually no news today besides right. besides, yeah. besides announcing that and there is there is some images of it available in video uh, they're yeah. probably out there so people could check those out on youtube now if they wanted to so here is the news we know that we know that ford's coming out with a small truck we know that it's called maverick someone named capriella union is the spokesperson for this vehicle um, And we know it's going to be built in Hermosillo, Mexico, alongside the Ford Escape uh, Compact Crossover, so we can make all sorts of assumptions about this vehicle. It'll be Mm -hmm. unibody, it'll be front-drive or all-wheel-drive. It'll be powered by a 1.5-liter turbocharged three-cylinder or a two-liter four-cylinder, also turbocharged. Um, In the commercial that they're showing today, just a little film clip, there's a hybrid badge on the vehicle. Hmm. So we'll also see the drive uh, share the drivetrain, the hybrid drivetrain from the Escape. Other than that, uh, there's a rumor that the base model will come in under twenty thousand dollars.
2: Hmm. Uh, that's pretty cu- cool. Yeah, I am curious to see if other manufacturers follow suit, and if we are going to in fact see a rebirth of the true mini truck uh, segment, which used to be. Very common all through the 80s and and most of the way through the 90s, too, the true mini trucks. Um, uh, So it'll be interesting to see if if this is a segment that proliferates.
1: Yeah, we used to have fun stuff like the Ford Courier, the Chevy Love, the VW pickup truck, the Subaru Brat. Um, And that stuff's just so small by comparison to that stuff. Yeah. So no real timeline on this, although rumor is that this is this is being called a 2022, which means that we would have to see it this year.
2: Yeah, I will. I expect we'll see. uh, Yeah, before the 2021 calendar year is up, I imagine we'll see a production version uh, at least be revealed by that time. All right, but but there's more
1: news than that. As you mentioned, Toyota made all sorts of news this week. If you want to let us know what that is,
2: yeah, I think there's all kinds of. Uh, they are just uh, <laughs> carpet bombing the airwaves with a bunch of, of new product <laughs> info. And and I think the most significant uh, thing they've revealed so far, uh, and this was not a a fully under wraps secret either, but they've officially shown the 2022. Toyota Corolla Cross, which is, surprise, surprise, a subcompact size crossover SUV. And Toyota, a little bit late to the party. Yeah. Building this vehicle, but I, I it's basically going to slot above the subcompact CHR, which if you're familiar with that vehicle, it's, it's a very swoopy styled subcompact uh, with a rakish roof line that is a crossover but uh, mixed with a kind of sporty compact car uh uh, a strong compact car feel to it as well Uh, and then beneath the toyota rav4 which is of course toyota's popular very popular insanely popular yes uh, so this corolla cross slots in between those two i guess we could consider it a large subcompact suv and in looking at it, I think this is—they uh, hit the target squarely with this. It's just—it's a Toyota subcompact SUV, just as straightforward as that, and that is really all it needs to be. Uh, they just need a vehicle with their reputation for reliability in this segment, that is just a straightforward entry, and I think that's what the the Corolla Cross looks like to me.
1: And once you've slammed, slapped, or glued the Corolla name on something, you've probably got that reliability thing there just assumed. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and what, and
2: once, what's your, what is your take on the on their decision to call it Corolla Cross? Um,
1: first of all, I think it's a great idea from a marketing perspective. I'm a little confused though because the CHR really seems like the Corolla Cross to me. Um, mm-hmm. This, it's almost as if Corolla skipped to size level. This looks so much like a RAV4 that I would have almost called it RAV4 Sport. Um, but, But that said, I think the corolla name's got so much equity in it why not Not. and this is going to be a smash hit i just smell sales all over the place i'm assuming that this is going to be as good as a rav4 or as good as a chr um there's not much here to do for people to worry about under the hood it's going to be a 1.8 liter engine attached to uh i think a cvt uh there's not going to be a lot of choices there front driver all-wheel drive um and, and yeah, they needed something in this segment because this segment has absolutely exploded. We've seen the Encore yeah. DX, the Chevy Trailblazer, the Hyundai Kona, the Kia Seltos, and Mazda's excellent CX 30 just came out. So, as you mentioned, Toyota's a little late to this game. They had the CHR, which was just small for this segment. And, and finally, this. Too. And quirky, right, yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a Nissan Juke, but less silly. Yeah,
2: <laughs> by, by, by a little bit, yeah. And that, <laughs> somehow the the Corolla Cross name, that just sounds natural to me. It Somehow it kind of rolls off the tongue, to me at least. And just adding Cross to the end of it somehow makes it sound SUV-ish. So I think that works. And then just looking at the styling of it, it's just, it's clearly a Toyota. But it doesn't have some wacky, overlarge grill. Uh, it just the styling, I think, is tidy and and just interesting enough to not be boring. But it's not some crazy swoopy thing. I just thoroughly conventional and I think that's exactly where it needs to be and yes, like you, I agree, this thing is going to sell like hotcakes
1: One of the things that we've addressed on the show is, is the explosion of sales in this segment when when the sort of large larger subcompact crossover thing kicked in um, sales were a little bit slow and then the pandemic hit and it seemed like, and we've had dealers confirm this for us, young buyers started looking for vehicles in lieu of public transportation. And that was a lot of what was driving the fire in this segment, but now it's just, it's exploded and everyone seems to like this sort of smaller than compact, but, but still not too small.
2: Right. Crossover. right. It's a good size. It is a good size. That that Kia Seltos is just right, um, as you said. The CX thirty, um, small enough that it it's the the purchase price is a little bit more affordable, but it's still big enough inside you can carry four adults with some you know gear, luggage, what have you. So, yeah, that that segment is is I understand why it's as hot as it is.
1: So at the bottom end now, this gives Toyota the CHR going up one size notch is the Corolla Cross, then the ever-popular RAV4, the new Venza, which is a delightful vehicle, though not much larger than the RAV4, and then the very large and very capable Highlander, which I think still gives Toyota some space between RAV4 and Highlander uh, to do something.
2: Uh, Really? Because why not? Why not have more crossovers? Sure. (laughs) Well, speaking, speaking of more crossovers, the other Toyota news I wanted to get to Um, When I say Corolla Cross, I think is very evocative and explains exactly what a vehicle is. If I was to say to you, BZ4X, what would you think of? Um, Gesundheit? (laughs) I would think of maybe a Star Wars droid, but it's actually actually Toyota's uh, full EV uh, compact SUV. So... They if, to, Same way in that Toyota is a little slow getting to that subcompact uh, SUV segment, Toyota's a little slow jumping into the full battery electric vehicle market, but it seems like they are made the choice to get there now, and the BZ4X, is was they just showed it in concept form. Actually, it, it was uh, revealed in Shanghai earlier this year, but they have committed to that going on sale. Who knows if it's actually going to be called BZ4X. I would hope it's not. But the pure electric Toyota small crossover SUV is slated to go on sale in the U.S. in 2022.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned that Toyota's been slow to dragging its feet when it comes to pure electric vehicles. They've been big into hybrid, and they own that segment. Almost everything in their lineup is available as a hybrid, Uh, and they've been doing a lot with fuel cell, but fuel cell's kind of specific, and it's not going to be general public, but they've been working on that as well. But speaking of the BZ4X, this is more or less a precursor to the companion to the Subaru Solterra, which we saw last month, and that'll be Subaru's pure electric vehicle. Those are being co-developed. Toyota is working with um, a bunch of companies, smaller companies to develop electric vehicles, including Subaru and Daihatsu and Suzuki. So they've got, they're they're amortizing the cost of these vehicles, but um, we will see a Subaru based on this Toyota uh, in the near future as well.
2: Yeah, that is another thing that really jumped out at me in regards to all the news Toyota is making this week is two words, joint venture. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you mentioned, the BZ4X uh EV partnership with Subaru, we should mention too the Corolla Cross will be produced at a joint venture plant with Mazda in LA. right It's just of all the the automakers, I think of Toyota as an 800 pound gorilla in whatever segment it's in. It's very interesting to me that even a company as big as Toyota uh, elects to share technology and share technology resources, kind of pool resources and partner with other manufacturers, all of which are smaller than Toyota is.
1: Yeah, and the Huntsville, Alabama plant is interesting. Um, manufacturers car sales have been very hot for the last few years, pre-pandemic, and a lot of manufacturers were bumping up against capacity, but no one really wanted to build anything because building a plant is incredibly expensive, and if you have to idle the plant, that's really expensive too. Mm -hmm. So, this joint venture is interesting because it costs them about half as much, and now Mazda has (laughs) has some American build capacity because Mazda had been importing virtually everything.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. Well, lots of news from, from Ford, lots of news from Toyota. We need to take a break. When we come back, we talk to John Beal of Collectible Automobile Magazine. Stick around.
0: Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast.
1: All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Hey, thanks for sticking around with us. Hey, this is the part of the show when I strongly suggest, uh, really strongly suggest that you follow me on Twitter. I am car guy Tom. That is car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter. Please give me a follow. I promise to entertain. All right, our guest today has won so many awards, it's rather humbling. He is the editor-in-chief of the best old car magazine on newsstands today. Welcome to the Car Stuff Podcast, John Beal.
0: Hi, Tom. Hi, Damon. Thanks for you guys having me on again. Appreciate it. Hey,
1: thanks for being here. I, I didn't mention the name of that old car magazine. Maybe you can uh, fill in that blank.
0: Well, those of us in the know call it Collectible Automobile. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Uh, Tell us a little bit about it. Tell us a little bit about it. (laughs) 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 Okay. Uh, Well, we've been... uh six times a year we uh, we come out with uh, with a blast from the past of uh, automotive history and we've been doing that since 1984 uh, published right here in the Chicago area and uh, uh, four uh, usually four sometimes five great feature stories big colorful displays every issue uh, and a, f- a great uh, lineup of, of uh, fun departments uh, photo features and looks at model cars and collectible literature for people who are into that kind of thing and and uh, just a really uh, fun magazine for people who like old cars.
1: And, and, John, just before we went on air, you were explaining to Damon and I why collectible automobile does not have a centerfold.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't like pictures of cars with staples in the in the belly, so... Um,
2: um,
0: yeah, that's... Uh,
2: we do there are full page spreads uh of some cool cars every issue has at least a couple photo features uh Mm -hmm. the one that really strikes me in this issue is a car that would have in years not too far past been considered the most uh granny uh elderly vehicle imaginable but somehow it's incredibly hip now (laughs) Mm -hmm. that is Sixty-seven Plymouth Belvedere two four-door sedan. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a great uh, a a great find. Um, yeah, it was a uh, it's a neat car. It's just <laughs> nice deep blue. Uh, you know, the kind of car that that a lot of families uh, had, and um, you know, kind of just just a, a mainstream, great, and the fact that you it's a, you know you can find you know people will save convertibles, hard tops, they'll save the muscle car versions, the the mm-hmm. GTXs and things like that from this period. But uh, boy, to find one of the uh, uh, one of the the kind of the the mass market mainstream cars that that people drove until the uh, wheels fell off of them. Um, it, that's that's pretty rare, and this one's in really nice shape. It's it's been well taken care of, and uh, so yeah, so we're glad to present it. It's a fun thing to be able to
2: see. Yeah, crazy crazy low mileage. Uh, mm-hmm. Even now, it's under twenty thousand miles. <laughs> and this is from yeah. a nineteen sixty seven car, it's just it's yeah, it's so cool to see a very pedestrian four door sedan that has clearly been loved and preserved. In the same way that your obvious, you know, GTX or, mm-hmm. or high-zoot convertible is, and and let's face and it, our, these we were on the road in much greater numbers than those special versions ever were. So,
0: oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. This is this is the this is the the home run mainstream, you know, car. I mean, it's it's the the nicest trim four-door sedan that they made available. So this would have been the this would have been the the the. Sweet spot of the kind of the family car market, you know that, that uh, Plymouth was grabbing uh, at the time, and uh, and our readers in the uh, Chicago area here actually might uh, be able to see this one. This car's come from Deerfield. Uh, from, oh, so, uh, so it's a local car.
1: Yeah. Should be showing up in local parades. So, John, th- this is an interesting thing, and I think most people don't think about this, but even though something like the, let's just say the Chevrolet. Traverse their their largest mid size mm-hmm. crossover outsells the Corvette 8 to 1, 10 to 1, something like that. 30 years from now, we might we might not be able to find a Traverse, but we'll be able to find Corvettes.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so if you do stumble across a Traverse in 2060, um people you know there's going to be somebody that's going to go wow we had one of those when i was four you know and and they're going to be absolutely almost going to, they're going to tear up when they see it <laughs>
1: And that—that that is probably part of the charm of collectible automobile magazine. And let me help you sell the magazine for a moment. Is that you? Guys, <laughs> you guys don't fixate on like the high performance stuff or the hyper collectible stuff or the very expensive stuff. It's—it's uh, it's really the common stuff that's so refreshing to see. And yeah, I mean, I flip through there, and sometimes I think my uncle had one of those.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean we're you know we we certainly do include the uh, you know the the high profile collectible cars from any group you know but when we tell a story we like to tell the story of the entire generation of the car and which means the the top to bottom you know if, if we can yeah if we can find that 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 baseline two door sedan with the dog dish hubcaps and the six uh <laughs> we want to get <laughs> Uh, we've had photographers that look at us crazy, like, "Wait, you want me to go shoot what?" You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't <laughs> worry, we <found> <laughs> we really need this. Uh, so, uh, you know, yeah, we we want that, and uh, you know, and I because it's. It's part of the bigger total picture. I mean, you, you know, people tend to you – know, now, you know, the cars today, so often they're, they're very targeted. There's a couple of two, three models that, you know, one body style, um, and, you know, and, and that's pretty much the, that's pretty much the limit. Um, if it's an SUV, obviously, there's, you know, it's front-wheel or all-wheel drive choices, things like that. But, but really, you know, they're kind of limited. But it's just – it's so fun to look back at those days when there were so many different body types so many different trim levels each trim level had its own cool fun name you know had a different name you know and and um and so there was an entire range of vehicles and then there's you know each automaker had several ranges of these, these full ranges of vehicles and yeah so there's there's a lot of variety out there to you know to uh to look at and that's what we really like to enjoy capturing if we can if we can find it
1: all right i need to talk about something now we're talking about the just a reminder the august 2021 issue of collectible automobile magazine Mm -hmm. and you guys and let me just thank you in advance did a feature on the 1968 to 1976 bmw 2002. this is the car that preceded the three series and this this has Mm -hmm. to be one of the most important cars uh in bmw's uh history at least for the u.s market
0: yeah it was in fact it actually was uh Created, and even though it was eventually sold around the world, its actual genesis was for the American market, because they, uh, uh BMW had a uh, had a hot little 1.6 liter TII dual carbureted, you know, kind of sport, same body, you know, that, that that everybody remembers that little compact high roof. Two door, you know, very glassy two door sedan, um, but it, it, they they couldn't bring it in here. It couldn't pass emissions. Uh, and uh, the alternative idea, and, and supposedly according to our story, uh, one of the big pushers for it was uh, Max Hoffman, who was the you know the great importer of European cars in the late '40s and '50s and '60s, um, and he had kind of had the ear of a number of uh, you know uh, at various European factories, and he said. I got an idea you know if you want to make a high performance or higher performance car that you can sell in America that'll be clean enough take that that two liter engine that you 've got from your midsized sedan and put it in there instead and that was what what made the two thousand and two the two thousand and two and and that that thing just you know that came here first and it was it got a great reception and that really kind of put BMW on the map, the way that we think of them now is sort of this, this you know, fun, exciting kind of, you know, uh, sports sedan uh, manufacturer, but uh, prior to that, um, they had a little, kind of a little different view, far lower profile in the U.S., and uh, kind of a different, uh, different kind of product mix and a different feel
1: i think for people who are not familiar with this car they're going to want to go online and look up bmw 2002 because one of the charms of this and one of the great things i love about german cars of this era is all the glass this car has the thinnest (laughs) roof pillars i've ever seen and so much glass this is just a great tidy looking car and even though it's really small it looks roomy for that reason i absolutely love this thing now there's some really interesting body styles in this article were those available in the u.s
0: not all of them. No, there was the the touring, um, which was a sort of a uh, it was sort of a, a hatchback, uh, kind of a long extended hatchback, and um, you could almost think if you remember the the was it the three eighteen. Uh, 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 there was, it was a, the Ti yes it was, it, from the late 90s is almost kind yeah. of that kind of an idea um, you know in, in that small of a car and uh, and then of course it's almost kind of a foreshadowing of the you know the the is it the the X uh, the. Six the uh, you know the kind of the SUVs now that sort of looked like a sedan but you know kind of like a, a fastback sedan um, so there's there's vehicles sort of like that you know, although now they're more you know crossovers or SUVs but uh, but yeah these were actual you know versions of the uh, uh, you know of that uh, sixteen hundred eighteen hundred two thousand series that that uh, that they were selling around the world.
2: Uh, I think it's it's fair to say that the two thousand two. We can credit that Basically, with inventing the idea of a modern-day sports sedan, don't you think? Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. The, yeah. that that got a lot of enthusiasts here. It's you know, it it got a great reception in Car and Driver magazine. David E. Davis wrote the you know it's an article that they still talk about today. That you know that that just absolutely just you know he liked everything about the car except the radio. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> he just fawned <thronged laughs> over everything. Yeah, <laughs> and he like, hated the radio. Loved too. every last other inch of the car and um, uh, if you read the you know if you read his, his story on it uh, from back in 1968 and um, uh, you know the, so that helped put it on the map here and they they you know they did great business here and and it's very true yeah that was people didn't really know much about the brand before this was their introduction to it and this was their their sense and and you know they just they handled great and were lively and you know had these great ergonomic features that tom was talking about you know the uh uh you know the great great visibility through a really you know high roof with big windows um and, and so here we are and 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 the, the, from the sales of that, they were able to start. On its heels of that came the the first threes in the late 1970s, and right. we you know we know what, what the reputation that that's had since then.
2: That's what that's that touches on. The, one of the things I love so much about collectible automobile is that it gives you such a great historical perspective on things. And we obviously Thanks. know what the BMW 2002 begat. The other cool Mm -hmm. bit of historical perspective I picked up from this issue that made me think of uh, something that is oddly common with General Motors vehicles. So there's an article on the 1978 through 80 Pontiac Grand Prix, first of the Mm -hmm. downside GM intermediates, Pontiac's version of that. And this Mm -hmm. is a great article by Don Keefe. One of the things that I like about this article and many other CA articles, it is not afraid to talk about the fact that a given vehicle might have been kind of a flop when it was new there were challenges uh, in its development there were challenges inherent in the market it entered into and manufacturers didn't always knock it out of the park all the time and the 78 to 80 grand prix is basically an example of that uh and so there's a lot of great perspective as to why It wasn't really a smash hit, but the thing it made me think about about General Motors vehicles, because these downsized 78 intermediates were the first of the small cars, and Don in the article talks about the fact that um, as the 77s were winding down, Uh, pontiac dealers at the time said hey you want to get one of these while you still can because it's they're going to be downsized next year and that made me think Mm -hmm. about how often in gm's history the last uh model year of something or the outgoing vehicle is kind of (laughs) a cult classic or is like celebrated and you want to get it before they're not making it anymore and yeah this made me think that there's a lot of general motors vehicles that are only truly fully appreciated after they're gone
0: <laughs> yeah it's very much of a you don't know what you've got till it's gone kind of mentality uh, at work there mm-hmm.
2: and some and yeah, some of yeah. them were just they weren't the all the bugs really weren't out until the end of course i think the pontiac fiero was an example of that uh but mm-hmm. yeah the list of the rear drive gm intermediates The last of the those, you know, uh, body on frame, big caprices and the Apollo Mm SS's, the Astro vans, all these things that had cult followings very shortly Mm -hmm. after they were discontinued.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, there's, it's very true. There's there's, uh, there's people that just you know they sense that that, that things are going to be different. That that you know the, that the automotive world is going to change, and you know so, and all of a sudden there'll be a, a, a burst of, of activity to hang on. Sometimes it's uh, you know cars that were sort of being ignored for a while before that, and all of a sudden it's just, well, wait a minute, it's not going to be like this mm-hmm. anymore. You know, so this is jumping on the you know on the on the you know they sometimes they've even gm has, has, has taken advantage of long build outs of a final um, yeah. you know, of, of a final you know it's just like well we can still make this thing for a few more months you know so okay well you know if, if people are ready to, to buy this thing well you know and yet the, the, with the full knowledge that it, this isn't going to happen anymore you know you know we're, we're going away from this so uh, you know it, yeah that, that's true that does happen from time to time and and they have their they've had their share of those situations over the years those kind Kind of um you know uh uh final uh, you know close out model as it were uh things that that uh that actually are quite popular
1: John I have to talk for a moment about the cheap wheels uh, in this issue Uh, cheap wheels of course is one of the departments and it's always a look back at Mm -hmm. a car that may have been expensive or interesting way back in the day but now might be relatively affordable and in this case it's the 1983 to 1990 Alfa Romeo spider Uh, just a tip of the hat to my dad Uh, back in the day I wanted to buy one of these (laughs) and Cooler,
2: cooler heads
1: prevailed I'm assuming well my dad made it abundantly clear that if I bought one he wasn't going to drive me around when it was in the shop and he wasn't going to help me pay for repairs so that put the gabosh on me buying an alpha romeo
2: so this is your official thank you dad
1: yes yes thank you dad for yeah i ended up buying a volkswagen instead in for so father's day
2: yeah
1: so john how uh, if somebody wants to get a hold of collectible automobile magazine how do they do that
0: well, they can uh, they can order for from us online. We have a uh, we have a site uh, collectibleautomobile.com. Uh, it's collectible with an i b l e. And uh, that's uh, you know or they can uh, they can reach us by phone at uh, in the US at, uh, at 800-777-5582. To subscribe online, and of course we're we're, uh, available in a a bunch of places, hundreds of locations around the country and in Canada. If we got anybody listening in, um, and our our website has a uh, uh, our handy-dandy website has a uh, store locator, Um, so people can try to find a location uh, close to them uh, by uh, punching up that uh, that function that feature on our website.
1: And the nineteen I'm sorry, the, the August twenty twenty one issue with the fifty-eight Cadillac Eldorado on the cover is on newsstands right now, correct?
0: Yes, yes. That's that's our current issue. It should it's, it should be out now.
1: All right. And John, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but in your estimation, would Collectible Automobile Magazine make a good gift for Father's Day?
0: Well, let me say this about that. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah, if you've got a dad who, you know, likes old cars um, and, uh, you know, thinks yeah uh, you know, along those lines, I can't imagine a better gift.
1: All right, sounds good. All right, he I is John Dill. A car he... itself,
0: maybe, but um, <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's not an optional male awesome. spider.
1: all right he is john bill he is the editor-in-chief of the best old car magazine on newsstands today and that is collectible automobile magazine we're going to take a break and when we come back it's quiz time and john is sticking around for the quiz stay tuned
0: Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast.
1: All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for sticking around. Hey, Damon. Yes. Damon, you're active on Fussy Boots Connect, how can the folks follow you there?
2: Fussy Boots? uh, Actually, I'm just active on Fussy Boots Connect, uh, no, no part of (laughs) Fussy Boots (laughs) Connect. Fussy Boots users hate Fussy Boots Connect. Users.
1: Well, yeah, ever since the users. scandal, yeah. There, well,
2: yeah, there was that huge split, and it's it's never been the same. I want to invite them to the same party. Exactly, yeah. We, I, in fact, we wouldn't even go there because there's so much drama that happens there. I'm just going to steer people to, you can follow me on Twitter at David. Oh. Parks. Yes. Don't get into the Fussy Boots Connect uh, drama.
1: All right. For people who might be confused or are just joining us, Jill is not here this week, but Damon is here, and John Beal, our guest today, is sticking around for the quiz. John, thanks for doing that. Uh, I hope you guys are ready. This is how the quiz works. I ask each one of you a question, and then the other person gets a shot at the exact same question. We have five questions and one bonus question that is always completely relevant.
0: I hope you guys are ready. Yes, I got my finger poised on my buzzer.
1: All right, John. The quest uh, today's topic is the cars of 1983. Um, Uh Oh, yeah, you're not a young man. This should probably fall into your wheelhouse. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right, the Car Stuff podcast is brought to you by Tom on Twitter. What's cooler than following Car Guy Tom on Twitter? Nothing. Give Tom a follow today, John. Yes. John, the cars of 1983, uh, which listed for more? The 1983 Ford Country Squire Wagon, the 1983 Dodge 400 Convertible, the 1983 Saab 900 four-door sedan, or did all of these cars list for exactly the same price?
0: Uh, That sounds really far-fetched, but uh, that could be (laughs) a trick question. I will say the Saab. Listed for the most? I will say the
2: Saab listed for the most.
1: All right. Damon, this question goes to you.
2: Can you repeat the candidates again, please?
1: Yes. The, all of these are 1983, the Ford Country Squire, the Dodge 400 Convertible, the Saab 900 four-door sedan, or are all of these exactly the same price?
2: Oh God. See, when you have John go first, uh, now I'm being swayed by his old car authority here, so... But then you fall into my trap <laughs> yeah.
1: he also answered with 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 a, a, Pretty, uh, with a profound amount of certainty yeah
2: yes God this is just but then Tom's penchant for super quick questions that sound too far-fetched to be true with them all being the same price that could actually be the case and then oh, the it could be yeah there station wagons are always the priciest vehicle at least they used to be when they, in the olden days, they were always the most expensive vehicle in a given manufacturer's car lineup. So uh, there's smoke coming out of my ears right now. <laughs> um, I'm going to just take a wild guess and say, no. Could they all be the same price?
1: Mm. I'll you say- com- I'll, I'll, You're coming I'll,
2: up I'll, against okay. the buzzer. Okay, let me finish. <laughs> I'm going to say they're all the same price because that just sounds crazy enough.
1: To you. All right. Just so you guys know, the Country Squire was $10,253. The Saab was $11,050. And the Dodge 400 convertible was $12,500. Oh, oh,
0: oh. oh no, <laughs> Really?
2: Wow. So no
1: one gets a point. And Saabs yeah, were kind K- of a K- deal K- back K- right. in the day.
2: Uh, yeah. You know what I'm going to say about that, about that Dodge? money not well spent
1: (laughs) if you like chassis flex that car was a deal All right, second question goes to Damon. Damon, what was under the hood of the 1983 Toyota Cressida? The Cressida, of course, was Toyota's luxury car back in the day, rear-wheel drive, uh, kind of like the Avalon of today. Uh, Was it a 128-horsepower 2.4-liter engine, a 143-horsepower 2.8-liter engine, or a 199-horsepower 2.1-liter 3-liter, I'm sorry, three-rotor turbocharged Wankel.
2: We can rule out the last. So, you're not giving us engine configuration?
1: Uh, The first one was a four cylinder, the second was a six.
2: Okay, I'm gonna say the six. All right,
1: so, uh, John, this question goes to you the 128 horsepower, 2.4 liter four, or the 143 horsepower, 2.8 liter six?
0: This is the, the the standard engine?
1: Standard engine, only engine in the 1983
0: Toyota okay. Cressida. I will say the 6 also. Yeah,
1: both get a point. Apparently All there right. Wasn't, apparently there wasn't a rotary engine in that car. All right.
0: <laughs> shocked. I'm that. shocked to find out.
1: <laughs> John, true or false, a Ford Mustang could be had for less than $6,500 in 1983. I will say that that's true, Damon. This question goes to you.
2: Um, I'll agree with John and say that's true.
1: Ooh, you're both wrong. The base mm-hmm. price was oh. sixty-seven twenty-seven, and adding air conditioning added a whopping seven hundred and twenty-four bucks.
0: Hmm. Mm. And that was uh, what? For a, what that would have been like an L, a base model?
1: An L coupe, correct, John?
0: Yeah. Hmm. All right. That does yeah.
1: All right, it's tied one-to-one. Damon, this question goes to you. Which of the following engines was not available in the 1983 Chevrolet Celebrity? A 2.0-liter 4, a 2.5-liter 4, a 2.8-liter V6, or a 4.3-liter V6 diesel?
2: Uh, Sorry, can you read those candidates again?
1: Uh Uh-huh. 2.0-liter 4, 2.5-liter 4, 2.8-liter V6, or 4.3-liter V6 diesel?
2: Which one was not
1: not available which one
2: I don't remember a celebrity diesel so I'll say that
1: all right John this question goes to you
2: I'm gonna say the two liter four
1: John you are correct mm. yeah the 4.3 liter v6 diesel was available in a lot of cars that year
0: yeah they were wow. GM was big on Diesels right there in the early 80s and they had I have have no ad. I have
2: no memory of no memory of that. It was actually considered old, to be a like pretty all good diesel.
0: Yeah.
1: righty, John, which of the following was not a 1983 Oldsmobile Toronado trim level? Elegance, Brome, SX. Or
0: were none of these a Toronado trim level? I will say the SX was not a Toronado trim level.
1: All right. Damon, this question goes to you. Which of the following was not a Toronado trim level in 1983? This, of course, was Oldsmobile's big, cool coupe. Elegance, Brome, SX, or were none of these a Toronado trim level?
2: Um, I seem to remember some crazy retractable T-top Toronado that was called SX from a little bit earlier. Um, but I'm being swayed by John's expertise again, so I'll agree with him say
1: the SX. Ooh, you are both wrong. For 1983 there was no Oldsmobile Toronado trim levels. There was what? There were no trim levels that year.
0: Oh, so this was the new question. It was just the, oh. Yeah. Okay.
1: $15,252. Very expensive car. One price. Uh, one price proposition there. John, you win two to one. We go to the bonus question just because. I hope you guys are ready okay all right damon this question goes to you first damon finally which new for 1983 tv show currently holds the highest audience rating review on imdb are you ready sure 1983 mama's family the a-team webster or fraggle rock
2: currently holds the highest imdb rating yep so this would be what's what's held in greatest esteem by its audience yep just a general audience
1: Yep. Yeah, right now in imdb if you look it up which one of these has the best audience rating boy and this is some quality entertainment
2: this is Ooh, that's kind of a clue isn't it for me no. it would questionably be the 18 because i was 10 at the time uh <laughs> I remember Ma- Mama's Family was at Vicki Lawrence show. Vicki Lawrence and Ken Berry. Yeah, that probably... It, it, this is a tough question because it's basically being rated by the... It's sort of a self-selecting group, isn't it? I don't know how
1: IMDB works, but that sounds reasonable.
2: All right. Um, I will take... Uh, I will guess Mama's Family. All right. John, this question goes to you. Which
1: is the best TV show, Mama's Family, A Team, Webster, or Fraggle Rock?
0: Hmm. Um, on reflection, I'm going to think that people probably found something fun about the A Team.
1: All right. So that's your answer. So we've. Uh, Damon, what did you say?
2: I said
1: Mama's Family. Mama's Family. All right. Webster came in at a dismal 5.7. Mama's Family at a 7.3. The A-Team at 7.5. But Jim Henson's Fraggle Rock, 7.9. No one gets the bonus question.
0: Congratulations to the
2: Muppets.
1: (laughs) To the Muppets and other characters. Uh, the, The actual poster for the show is Jim Henson's Fraggle Rock, including the
0: Muppets. So it's a very weird thing. Oh man, they were they were second
2: bananas. <laughs> what was the concept oh, wow. of that show? Was it like a was it like an alien planet or something?
1: What I don't know. It? I'd like to
2: think it was post
1: apocalyptic, but I'm not sure it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: Muppets and post apocalyptic. That doesn't sound.
1: All right, John. An autographed copy of the quiz is uh, on its way to your desk right now.
2: <laughs> okay, and open it to the door. <laughs>
1: I'll just slip it under the door. Damon, what's going on at the CG Daily Drive blog?
2: Uh, Got some test drive reviews of a couple high-performance vehicles this week. Oh, do tell. We've got the 2021 Toyota Supra 3.0 Premium. Uh, Supra, of course, debuted, uh, was revived for the 2020 model year, and that is... Once again, we were talking about joint ventures in the first segment. The new yeah. Supra a joint venture between some unlikely partners, Toyota and BMW. Uh, and the Supra shares its underpinnings and engines with the BMW Z4 Roadster. Uh, the Supra is, of course, only available as a coupe, and the Z4 is only a Roadster. Um, and for 2020, the Supra... The six-cylinder Supra gets a pretty significant horsepower bump. It, it, the first ones made 335 horsepower, and for 2021, it's 382 horsepower. Um, so interesting slot in the sort of premium sports car market that the Supra takes up. The one that we tested was uh, $58,275, which is it's not as super powerful as a Corvette, but it's also... Cheaper, you know, in comparably equipped form. So, what what do you guys think of the Supra's styling? Are you fans?
0: I'm I'm kind of mixed. I mean, in, in a general way, I, I I like it. That one that we had, that three O that we tested, looked really cool with the uh, funky kind of silvery gray matte paint. Yeah, uh, matte matte not matte matte so much when it, it got Stantum. dirty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it it looked yeah. So I mean, you know, that sort of that looked cool you know and, and it, 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 if you don't like the shape it's still there was an overall uh, sense about it that that uh, that was kind of head turning uh, but yeah I know there's a few little lumps and bumps in it here and there that that somehow just don't quite look smooth uh, but overall I think it's you know it certainly sells the idea that it's a, a you know that it's a, a muscular kind of sporty coupe sports coupe. mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I, I like the general silhouette of the car. I think it's generally pretty handsome, and I like this color. Our test car was in. What was this? This is Phantom Matte Gray. I don't know why the designers decided to go with weird look inlet-looking things aft of the doors to make this look like maybe it was rear engine. Um, mm. it's, a, it's a strange design flourish, but but yeah, it's a handsome car. I think um, I might like this just a little bit better than the Z4.
2: Okay. Well, if you if you're not super keen on the Supra and you have say double the amount of money to spend, you could opt for uh, the other car that we tested this uh, past week, and that is a 2021 BMW M5 Competition. That is the supercar version of BMW's five series midsize sedan. Uh, the one we tested. You have to lay down six figures to even get into one of these in the first place. Uh, The base price is $103,500, and ours was liberally optioned with uh, the competition package, uh, which adds $7,600, along with a bunch of other options that pumped up the base price as tested to $136,000. Uh, Forty-five dollars, but for that money, you get a six hundred seventeen horsepower twin-turbocharged <laughs> four-point-four-liter V-eight. Pretty, pretty awesome machine.
1: Yeah, there's no question that this is, this is anything less than an amazing thing to drive, and it's hard not to be impressed. My only lament, and I've shared this with you guys offline, I don't know why the M5 had to become a supercar. I just sort of miss the idea of a of a something just a little bit less. Hardcore, uh, maybe mm-hmm. obviously manual transmissions are dead. But I'm just thinking about five series of 20 years ago. Were just such really engaging cars, and now mm-hmm. this thing, is, you almost feel like you need a pilot's license to drive this.
2: Yeah, and you lit- you uh, you really need a race car. You you need a, a track to fully exercise the capabilities of this thing. It's it's yeah. You 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 could do things on a public road with this that would instantly get your license revoked.
1: <laughs> all right, we got one more to talk about, Damon, and then we're out of yeah, time.
2: Just, all right, uh, just really quick, I wanted to mention for as nuts as that M5 was, we got 18.1 miles per gallon, which sounds incredible. Not great, but for a vehicle with 617 horsepower, not, <laughs> yeah. not, not horrible. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> finally, uh, we have a very uh, one of Tom's favorite things, and that's the peculiar and obscure. We've got a gallery of strange and obscure car ads, which is spot headlined by a picture of the 1974 Renault Gordini, which, Tom, yes, I would agree with you. I don't recall it at all. And in looking at the photo now, it appears to have three bolt wheels. Yes.
1: Underscore the weirdness all right so people want to check that article out too we are completely out of time kids special thanks to our guest today john beal thanks as always uh to damon for co-hosting uh thanks to lady b and the good folks here at wcpt am 820 in chicago a special shout out to my friend steve and johnny also i blew it last week happy birthday dad next year i won't forget to call on your birthday (laughs) all right remember you can reach us at consumerguide.com that is consumerguide.com let's talk more about Cars again next week.